Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Stan. Welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We've got two segments for you today. The first, Ellis and Mary Kay join me to talk about the Browns wide receiver room. We kind of try to build the ideal Browns receiver room. Then, in the second half of the pod, Tim Bielek jumps on as he does every week to talk draft. And guess what? We're going to talk receivers. Uh, his favorite receivers in the draft, guys who could be there on day two, guys who could be there on day three. And then we get into a little bit on the combine and it not happening this year. Okay, enough from me. Here's our Wednesday Orange Brown Talk podcast. And here we go on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kate Cabot, Ellis Williams, and we are trying to build the Browns receiver room in 2021. And this is a very complicated question because look, we've talked about Odell Beckham. We've talked about his future here. Uh, we've talked about what that could or, or maybe could not look like, but as we try and build what this receiver room is, I, I guess let's just start here. Mary Kay, what should the Browns goal be as they build this receiver room? What, what kind of traits should they be looking for? Well, I think they should go a little bit younger and a little bit faster. I think they need to get some speed on the field and I need, I think they need to get a little bit of youth on the field and, and try to sort of kind of plan for the future a little bit and, and have a receiving core that can take them into the next three or four years. So I would be looking for those kinds of things, both in free agency and the draft. And, you know, if I had an ideal room. If I were setting up the room uh, in an ideal fashion, uh, I don't know if you're ready to, to get to that point yet, Dan, but I have some thoughts on how I would do that. Yeah. Let, let's wait on, on kind of attaching what that room exactly would look like. Ellis, what kind of traits would you be looking for to build uh, the Browns receiver room? I think Mary Kate nailed it. Uh, last year during the draft, I, you know, I wondered if they would target a guy in the middle rounds because of the strengths of that class. And now it looks like the exact same thing is happening this year. This is another deep uh, group of receivers. The, the talent on the top end in the first round matches what happened a year ago. And then throughout the class, you're finding some middle-class receivers that perhaps you can develop uh, into some, some talented long-term solutions at the position. Speed and explosiveness comes first though. You know, you can't draft a guy who has those type of traits and then isn't ready to step on the football field either because you need to have that balance of both ready to make an impact and checks all the boxes of you know size speed athleticism and 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 whatnot which makes whether Otto Beckham Jr. 
being in that room is the end game. And I'll put it this way, aside from the speed and youth, there also needs to be some size. I mentioned that after Odell went down, I had a, just a gut feeling that there was something about Jarvis and Odell playing together when they're just the two receivers on the field that probably isn't best for Baker Mayfield just based on their stature. We're talking two, you know, 5'11 receivers, very similar body makeup. And that kind of came to show its truth when Rashard Higgins stepped up and, and filled that Odell role in a sense, despite how different they are. Rashard being a, a bigger player with a, a, a larger catch radius. And I think Baker, like any young quarterback, needs a body like that. So whether it's bringing Higgins back or they're targeting receivers in the draft, I think that Donovan Peoples-Jones size from 6'1 to 6'3 is where I think they would look. Now, if they bring in a guy more like JoJo Natson size, who I think I've been on the record saying would have, I think would have made an impact, at least a splash play one or two times in that Chiefs game, I could see that too. But they need explosiveness, like Mary Kay said, and I think they need some size, whether that's bringing Higgins back or giving just Baker your traditional outside, bigger-bodied receiver. Mary Kay, what does that look like for you then? Well, you know, I'm going to start with, and we've kicked this around a lot, and because it's Odell's Bark Week, that's one of the reasons why we are sort of featuring receivers on some of our pods this week. Uh, We've gone back and forth. We did a whole pod on making the case for trading Odell and making the case against trading Odell. For purposes of setting up this receiver room in an ideal fashion, uh, the first way that I'm going to look at that is I'm going to assume that they have found a trade partner and they are willing to make this deal to try to shake things up a little bit in their receiver room. So I'm going to go with that premise here just to start with, just for purposes of of trying to create a little bit of a different look in the receiver room. Now, if I do that, there are a number of things that would spin off from that. I do agree with Ellis very much so in the fact that in addition to speed and explosiveness that they do need some size. And why do they need some size? Because we were able to see that when the Browns went up against really physical cornerbacks, they struggled a little bit in that regard, okay? Against the Chiefs and also against the Ravens. Now, Odell and Jarvis even kind of got a little bit roughed up against the Ravens when they were together. So I, I do think that you need a little bit of size and toughness in that regard uh, to stand up to that kind of coverage. Uh, so I think that's important. Uh, one of the things that I would do is I would go out and re-sign Brichard Perriman. Now, the way that I have this room set up now, they would potentially end up with a Brichard, a Richard, and a Rashad. And that would be very difficult for any announcer trying to call the game. I understand that. It might even be difficult for the offensive coordinator trying to call the game. So anyways, I would, I would re-sign Burchard because he does bring that size and speed element for you. And he did not have a good year last year with the Jets. That doesn't mean, however, that he wouldn't have a good year again in Cleveland. I think he's a fit. He, you know, he was poised to stay here until all of a sudden they signed, they traded for Odell Beckham Jr. And then that was it. 
his agent, he and his agent were like, we want out of here. We, we want to go somewhere where we can play some football. Uh, so he did that and uh, went to Tampa, then played with the Jets last year. I think that the Browns can still get something out of him and he brings you that speed element. Uh, so I like that aspect of it. Then I would sign, I would re-sign Richard Higgins because for all the reasons that we've talked about before on these pods with Richard Higgins, he has that chemistry with Baker. In fact, Baker's rating when throwing to Richard is an amazing 126. Those guys just have something going on, whatever it is. And I think he's good for Baker and he brings a different element. He doesn't have flashy speed, flashy size or flashy anything really, but he's a good solid receiver. That's going to get the job done for you. And Baker loves him and he's got a nose for the end zone. I've always said that about him. Uh, then I would go out and I would draft one and I would not be opposed because I have traded Odell Beckham Jr. and then ended up with something good. It might not be that the pick, the high pick might not come until next year and it might be a conditional pick. If you move it out to next year, you might get a higher pick than you would have. Somebody might be willing to give you a first rounder next year as opposed to their first rounder this year. So I would draft one of these receivers and there are a lot of good receivers in this draft. And again, I would be looking for size and I would be looking for speed. Now, some of the receivers that I'm about to mention are probably not going to be there at number 26. You'd have to probably trade up to get them. But one that comes to mind here would be Terrace Marshall from LSU. He's 6'4", 200. He's got the size. He's got about 4.4 speed, which is really good size speed for his size. I think he would be the kind of guy uh, that could beat up some, some smaller corners and some really tough press man corners that are just going to get up in your face and try to bully you around. So that's the kind of guy. Now, he might not be around at number 26 overall, but he's somebody uh, that I would probably look at there. And also uh, Richard Bateman from Minnesota, I'm sure. Ellis, you probably know a lot about him. He compares to DeAndre Hopkins. He doesn't have top end speed, but he does have good size at 6'2", 210. And the speed is good enough. And if you're comparing to DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins, I would take that any day of the week. Uh, so those are some guys that I would add. And then, of course, you still have Donovan Peoples-Jones. And, you know, you could keep Kaderil Hodge. Again, these are Kaderil. You can keep him if, if it didn't work out. That's okay, too. But, but I think that gives you a room with some size, some speed, some possession. And from a salary cap standpoint, I think it makes good sense. Mary Kay broke it down really well there. And I'll start with where she ended. That is exactly how the Browns need to look at building this wide receiver room. It needs to look a lot like a a basketball team. And I've talked about that at this position before, where you have a possession size type receiver in Richard Higgins. You have your, you know, so that'd be your forward guy who kind of handles the dirty work. You have your explosive two way scoring guard, which, to me in this scenario is Odell Beckham Jr. I, I'm just going to stand firm on the Browns not trading Odell. I don't think that would be in their best interest. I, if it happens, I understand it. I completely get where Mary Kay is coming from. Perhaps it's just because I got done watching over a hundred reps and routes <laughs> of Odell Beckham Jr. for Bark Week and the, the film review I put out, but uh, his talent's still there. I'm mesmerized by it. He's, he's as quick as they come. His twitch is there. And, and I just think that Browns fans were robbed 
of what this offense would have looked like once Baker graduated to that expert level of quarterback ready to take that next step to perhaps master. I don't think he was ready. And same with Kevin Stefanski. That's what my, really my film review ends up laying out is that though Baker wasn't ready for a guy like Odell, Kevin Stefanski wasn't ready either to plug him in, in the sense that if Baker, if he would have known Baker was going to rely so heavily on his first read, I think Stefanski would have put, Odell in more situations to be that first read, but because he was a later read in his progressions earlier on the season before his ACL injury, there just wasn't much opportunity to get Odell the ball. And then when they did try to force him the ball, it didn't look good. And we've gone over the confusion there. So I think he's ready for a player like Odell. Now that they're going to be in year two of this Kevin Stefanski system, again, letting Odell be that explosive player that they're missing. Then they need a gadget guy. They need, you know, you're like your point guard who can go off randomly for 25. You're not going to trust him in huge spots to defend anyone because he's a smaller player, but whether that's a guy like Jojo Natson or an upgrade, which will probably be if they go in the draft with a smaller receiver and you, you can see that's where they would head. They need a guy who threatens on the edge with jet sweeps and orbit motions and even some more screens. I, I would be surprised if this offense doesn't expand in that way with getting down the seam and, and getting players out on the perimeter and more of a screen game, they just didn't really have a receiver that could handle that. Jarvis Landry is the receiver that can do it all, but he doesn't necessarily flip games. You trust him in really big spots. So you need that, right? Like the Robert Ori, who's going to hit game winning shots at the end of the buzzer and get you a championship. Jarvis Landry is going to come up when it matters most. You need him on your roster. So so for, if you have it at that, and we're really only talking three receivers here because that's how many this Browns roster can really handle in terms of how many tight ends are going to play. You need the explosive guy, you need the size guy, and you need the gadget guy. I love the names Mary Kay mentioned in the draft. That size is something I think they covet, and I think that this draft has uh, plenty of options in that sense. But for this room, I do worry that it may get crowded quicker than we're realizing you know clearly they really like Cordero Hodge earlier in the year and tried to get him back in there late due to the injuries uh and Richard Higgins was really the odd man out so I'm just wondering as to if Higgins has won over this coaching staff or not that'll be telling and someone something's got to give whether it's Peoples Jones Beckham well Peoples Jones will be here but what I'm trying to say is whether it's Beckham Hodge Higgins that the room fills up pretty quickly. And if you're going to bring in another young guy, like it sounds like we're dealing with a, a lot of bodies, but from the three receiver sets that they need, they need to prioritize that explosive player, that size guy and the gadget guy. If they had those three in Kansas city, I think that game goes a lot differently. All right. So Mary Kay, what does keeping Odell Beckham, how does that change your, how does that change the room you built? It impacts what else you can do in terms of signing a free agent and potentially even bringing back Richard, right? Because Richard, I think, is probably uh, going to make somewhere around $6 million a year. And the same thing with Richard Perriman. Uh, you know, that's about, you know, he's probably in that six, seven, maybe even $8 million a year range. So I don't think you'd be able to do that with those two guys. So in that scenario, I would think that you would be drafting another receiver and it is a deep and good class. And I would then for sure be going for size because you've got your, you know, you've got your speed guy in Odell and you've got, 
you know, you've got some other elements with some of the other guys. So I think I probably would be looking more for a little bit of, of size from the next guy. And you're prob- you probably wouldn't do that in the first round uh, because you've already got your starting receivers. You've got $30 million committed to your receiver room. So I would be looking later in the draft. Uh, I would be looking in the maybe second, third round for a guy. And I don't have a name to throw out in terms of uh, right now, second or third round, maybe Ellis can throw out a name who would be good there in the second or third round. But if they keep Odell and there's a tremendous chance that they will do that for many reasons, again, even when you look at the the price, $15.75 million, when you're talking about a receiver of his caliber is not an exorbitant amount of money. It's just, once again, when you couple it with paying Jarvis, what they have to pay Jarvis and paying all the other pass catchers on the team, what you're paying them, including like Austin Hooper and whatnot, uh, it starts to, to get to be a lot. So um, I think that's what I would do. I would, I would go with those two guys. I would still try to re-sign Richard, and then I would draft a receiver in the second or the third round that gives you that element of some size. So Ellis, have, have you kind of given us, I mean, did you lay out essentially what your room was or do you have like an ideal room kind of yeah, different yeah. than not just working off what Mary Kay said? Yep. Yep. No, I can do that. And for me, uh, it starts with what I said last time, Odell can't leave this room. I just think there's too much left on the table, too much opportunity and something they were building towards and to give to, I don't want to say give up, but to table that for now, I think would be detrimental to the offense. They would take a, a, a slight step back and perhaps be in that same sort of, all right, we need to figure out the offense in the middle of the season and, and peak later where they could just hit the ground running perhaps in 2021 with this offense by just plugging Odell in. So Odell's in there, Jarvis, of course. Again, this st- when Mary Kay mentions how Higgins is probably commanding $6 million on the market, this gets tricky. I would love to see Higgins be there and have that be the three – uh, receivers that they lean on and specifically avoid having Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. on the field at the same time, unless it's 11 personnel, but give that allowing Higgins to play with either Beckham or Landry as he did all season awards Baker, that bigger target Donovan people's Jones, I think takes a gradual step up, but he cannot be thrust into a 30 or 40 snap type of season. And I'd love to see him compete with a mid round rookie, like Mary Kay mentioned in a, in a few guys, there that come to mind. Nico Collins of Michigan is 6'4", 215. Uh, and then Seth Williams of Auburn, uh, 6'2", 225-ish. Uh, two bigger bodies there that could give Donovan Peoples-Jones some competition. And also, again, you're just putting some fresh blood into the room, some young talent, some guys on some rookie deals that if you hit, you, you really hit it. It makes parting with your expensive older veterans like Jarvis and Odell down the line a lot easier. So I'll start with those four. And then I think they need, again, they need a gadget guy, whether that's another rookie or again, I would have loved to see what Jojo Natson would have became in this offense because you don't need him and you don't need to rely on him for much, but he's a special teams guy and then a gadget play player. So between those four and five guys, I think that gives the Browns a plethora of options at receiver that they simply didn't have at the end of the season. The more I've thought about this and the more time I've put into it is I've kind of come to the conclusion that I think the Browns have their receiver room if they want it. All right. Essentially with a few additions, I think it starts with Jarvis and Odell. And then I think Donovan people's Jones, I think you start with those three and then you complement it from there. I mean, I hate to say it. I know Browns fans don't want to hear it. I don't think Rashard Higgins would be happy here. 
because I just don't know if there's a role for him in this offense. If, if you bring those two guys back, because I'm going to tell you now your targets, just, just write this down in pen for next year. This is, this is your target leaders next year. Your first receiver, your second receiver, Kareem Hunt, Austin Hooper, your second tight end, and then your third receiver. That, that's, that's how your targets are going to shake out next year. So I almost feel like the Browns could do a lot worse than just bringing back Odell, Jarvis, Peoples-Jones, who, and I actually looked this up, Mary Kay, because you got me thinking. In 2018, Rashad Perriman had 16 catches for 340 yards and two scores. Peoples-Jones last year had 14 catches for 304 yards and two scores. I'm a little nervous banking on a guy that was a sixth round pick because I know he had a really nice year. I know he did well in limited opportunities. You know, we'll see. We'll see how kind of his career goes from here. But I think if you've got him as sort of, you know, you're another fast guy on the outside, he's, he's got good size. He's 6'2", what, like 215. And then you kind of complement that with a draft pick. You know, you've got guys like Hodge coming back. And again, I don't want to bank too much on a guy like Hodge or Natson either, but you can find guys who can step in and fill certain roles. I think it starts with those three. I think it starts with Beckham, Landry, and Peoples-Jones. And you go from there. And maybe there's a role for Higgins, but I can't promise you that Higgins is going to come back here and be happy. Because I just don't know if the targets are there, unless they decide Higgins is their number two. Now, I mean, and I agree with you on that and and you you lay out a great great case for that the question that i have for both of you guys is and we've gone over this so many different times the question that i have for you is i think we can all agree that we don't think that the browns are a better football team without odell beckham jr i think all of us have have said that is preposterous to say that when you've got a talent like that however my question is, to you guys is, is it possible that he does get into Baker's head? That the, the, the larger than life presence that Odell Beckham Jr. is somehow takes precedence in, in Baker's brain and he doesn't perform as effectively and efficiently when he does have that, whether it's internal pressure to try to make sure that Odell is, is fed and happy or whether there's something external about it. I don't know, but is there a possible chance that Baker Mayfield plays a more relaxed brand of football when he doesn't have Odell out there? I think that was answered this year, Mary Kay. Clearly Baker played with a different, level of poise I mean all the way like we talk about how much this offense changed and they found their rhythm after the bye week but as soon as he Beckham went out of the lineup with an ACL tear Baker went on to complete what like 22 or 25 straight passes and throw a game-winning touchdown to Donovan Peoples-Jones it happened like that it really was a flashpoint in his season and perhaps his career when we look back at all this which is just mind-boggling to me but the point I keep arriving to is you almost have to treat it like old Baker and new Baker at the point of that ACL tear, meaning that the old Baker wasn't ready for a, a player like that and, 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 a, and a celebrity of that stature where now I think he's graduated and now is ready to take on something like that. I have no way of proving that until they play the actual games. And if four games in the next season, Odell's on this roster and it looks a lot of the same, then it's over. Then, then for the third straight year, 
the Browns organization and, and people like myself will have egg on our face for thinking, oh, this Odell thing is going to work here in Cleveland. This thing's going to work here in Cleveland when we actually had, uh, you know, two seasons and enough evidence that it wasn't. So to your point, I think there's a lot to that. And just from the, the human aspect of it, the football human aspect of this, without a doubt, the number one receiver stigma persona does influence huddles and locker rooms. It, Coaches can say that they're not trying to force feed or they're not trying to get guys involved, but it's very telling when Odell tells the media that he's like a three-point shooter. He needs his early looks, and when they start dropping, the bucket gets huge, and you see what happens in games like in Dallas. That's all true. I think Baker, though, is now at a point where that confidence is here. He knows this is his squad. He knows that he's not going anywhere. He, for the most part, knows he's the quarterback of the future. And now he's ready to handle that Odell stuff when prior to that ACL injury, there was just so much up in the air. And I think he was playing a little bit of a, just an insecure style of football, not capable of handling someone of the presence of Odell Beckham Jr. I would maintain, and I I agree with a lot of that. I do agree with a lot of that. And I've been saying all along that I really do think when the lights came on for Baker Mayfield and once this coaching staff figured out how to use him and once he figured out what his strengths were in this scheme, that everybody would have benefited. I will argue however though he never really had uh he was ready for Jarvis Landry right from the start he was ready for Jarvis and Jarvis is a you know whatever five-time pro bowler and and Jarvis is a dynamic star receiver and and Baker has played with star receivers in in college so I I don't know if it was that as much as it was Part of it was the fact that they never had an, an off season to work together. I yeah. think part of it was that they never had a training camp. They never had, you know, they just really never had that, that great opportunity to, to get to know each other a little bit. And you don't need that with everyone. Not everybody needs that. Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. I mean, they had magic right from the start. Right. So I, I don't know if it's that. And we, like you said, we will never know this or if it's just that there's just, a style fit between those two guys in terms of, you know, I mean, Odell has a way of, he likes to get open however he can. Baker likes a precise, precise route run. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't know if it was just almost maybe like a, a style fit on the field and maybe the style will fit beautifully now. And we'll probably find that out. Cause I do think he probably will be back. Uh, but I, I do think that there is a little something there's a little something to the fact that Baker was a little bit different, just a little bit different from a uh, mindset standpoint when he did not have to worry about getting the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. I want to add this real quickly. I understand and agree with everything you're saying about on the field stuff off the field. I just think it's important to note that Odell Beckham Jr. is a rock star, you know, just, just like check their Instagram followings. Like, like we're talking Justin Bieber, LeBron stuff with Odell. He's in Drake music videos. Mm -hmm. And like anyone who's ever dated someone way out of their league, you're always looking over before you have that confidence. You're always looking over your shoulder, hoping that they're happy, hoping that they're, they're cool and hoping that they want to stay with you. Right. That is the difference between playing with a star, a a super, a superstar receiver like Jarvis Landry as in a skill set, but, uh, superstar off the field a mogul like Odell Beckham Jr. who's could do one of many things in lead sports center or first take with the discussion compared to Jarvis never grabbing that headline I just think it's a pressure that only 
five receivers in this league and probably 15 or 20 throughout the league's history have ever reached that Odell Beckham Jr. has had. And they're playing in Cleveland. And I think it's a good point to bring up though, Mary Kay, because there's the evidence right in front of us. Right. And we sort of sit here and say, well, it's not necessarily conclusive. You know, we believe that it would be different if Odell had not gotten hurt, but what we do know is Baker's two best stretches of football in his career have come when Odell Beckham wasn't on the Browns. And you mentioned Brashad Perriman earlier. He, he, he helped revive Brashad Perriman's career to the point where you can make the case that the Browns should go sign Brashad Perriman and bring him back. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there's the second half of this season. You know, Odell was not here. Baker played some of his best football. Is that a direct connection? We don't know. But listen, there could be a chance we're sitting in the press box the fifth game of the year and Baker forces another ball to Odell that doesn't connect and it ends up on the ground. And we kind of look at each other and we're like, why did we just completely ignore that evidence that was out there? It was, it was right there in front of us and we completely ignored it. So I think it's something we have to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, if we want to sit here and make the case, like we all sort of have that Odell probably would have still been like Odell would have benefited from Baker's second half of the season this year. That's fine. But we can't just ignore the stuff that's right in front of us either. And, The Browns can't because there's a lot riding on this. And if they make a decision to keep Odell and it doesn't work, they're going to be in some trouble trying, trying to kind of figure out how to make this offense work in a season where they should be Super Bowl contenders. Exactly. And that's the key. They, they want, this is the year. I mean, they made it into the final eight. They need to take that next step this year and they're going to beef up the defense to be able to do that. So they do kind of have to get it right. And the other thing I think to consider is, and, and whenever I talk about this, I mean, I, I love covering Odell. I love having a, a superstar in town. It's fun for all of us to, you know, to be a part of that, to have him on the team, uh, you know, the attention that it brings to everybody. Uh, it, it's a great thing, but it reminds me a little bit of, you know, kind of Stefan Diggs. And we talked about this yesterday a little bit, Dan, is that you know, he, why did he want out of Minnesota? He probably wanted out of Minnesota because the scheme doesn't lend itself to a superstar receiver being able to absolutely shine and get a million targets, a million touchdowns, a million catches, uh, and a million yards. And that's what he wanted. And that's what Odell wants. That's what Odell wants. He wants to be the man. I mean, he wants to be the man. And this offense isn't set up for somebody to be necessarily the man. There are just too many places to go with the football. And so therefore, at least it's worth exploring. It's worth exploring. Again, I think he'll, you know, he'll probably be back. But these are some of the issues that, that even the Browns themselves behind closed doors have to grapple with over the next couple of months. Very quickly, I completely agree, Mary Kay. I think this team's also going to run into that issue. Like, I don't think it's going to be an actual issue, but in terms of putting up tight end one numbers, the way we've talked about Austin Hooper, if you Mm -hmm. go back and look at Kevin Stefanski's time in Minnesota, he's not having one tight end put up those numbers. If you combined the number one and two tight end, they flirt with like top six or seven production, but it hasn't been one guy yet. I don't really see that changing to your exact point about a true wide receiver one to be the man and lead Mm -hmm. the league in receiving yards and receptions like Stefan Diggs did a year ago. Um, Second, the Browns have five picks in the first 101 selection of the draft. They go receiver in one of those spots just to Dan's point. I think he made a great one. I, that might signal a Rashard Higgins departure to me. Uh, I'll, I'll just be on the record saying that. And then thirdly, after some hard-hitting research, Jarvis Landry, 
2 million Instagram followers, Odell Beckham Jr., 14.2. <laughs> For all the old heads out there, I know who gives a rip about Instagram, but it's a face, a, a safe barometer of the, the real impact you have off the field, and he's a bona fide star for that. But don't you think that that strengthens the case that maybe uh, that that maybe he gets into Baker's head that maybe yes. Odell, yeah that he that he gets into Baker's head a little bit and Baker's like I I gotta make sure that the superstar is the superstar and the superstar is the man, even 100%. though the offense doesn't really necessarily lend itself to that sort of thing. So it, it, it's a very complicated issue. It's a complicated issue. If you do keep Odell on the team, you, you really do have to make sure like they did in the Dallas game, right? They have to make sure that you give him plenty to do plenty to do early on. You've got to let him throw the ball. You got to let him run reverses. You've got to let him catch the ball from Jarvis. You've got to let him, you've got to let him find a way somehow uh, to really showcase all of his talents and his abilities. Okay, there we go. Uh, our ideal receiver rooms. We gave you kind of three different three different looks. And Mary Kay mentioned it, by the way, uh, some day two receivers, day three receivers. I'm actually going to ask Tim Bielek about that here uh, after the break. So Mary Kay and Ellis, thanks for the time. Tim Bielek coming up to talk wide receivers in the draft when we come back. All right, back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, we welcome on Tim Bielek to talk draft. We spent that first half of the pod putting together the Browns' ideal wide receiver room, and I think all of us mentioned drafting someone. So, Tim, we are going to talk wide receivers. And let's just start here. This is not a guy that the Browns are going to draft, but I'm just curious about this. Who's the best receiver in this draft, do you think? I think by a narrow margin, it's Devontae Smith of Alabama. We we all saw what he did last season. Pretty much uncoverable. He was a guy that, Everybody had game plan to double team and no one could do it. It was a guy, he's a guy that's been clutched throughout his career. He had the touchdown to win the national championship for Alabama back in his freshman season. That was, of course, Tua throwing him that touchdown in that game against Georgia. This is a guy who's got a lot of the requisite tools. You know, he's a very smooth player, very good route runner, but it seemed like this year he got a lot faster. And I I mentioned a week week ago talking with Ellis about our in our dueling mock drafts that I think you have to give a lot of credit for wherever Devontae Smith goes to Steve Sarkeesian, who was his offensive quarter and now the head coach of Texas. He did a lot of things to create some mismatches for Devontae Smith and he took full advantage of them. So then after him, who do you have kind of your top three, top five, whatever, however, however long that list goes. It's a top three for sure that have clearly separated themselves from the rest of the crop. The other two are Jamar Chase from LSU, who was, of course, Joe Burrow's number one guy back in 2019 won the Boletnikov, and he's simply sensational. He didn't play in 2020, but he's a very polished player. He's got he's very good route runner and just a very good player after the catch. And the other guy is Jalen Waddle from Alabama. This was a guy who, if ideally, like if you're if you're trying to create the receiver the Browns could that would fit their offense the best, Jalen Waddle would be that. Unbelievably fast. He's much stronger than you think for a guy of his size. And the way he just separated against defenders in the SEC was something to watch. He was banged up towards the end of the season. So he didn't get a chance to put up the numbers that Devontae Smith did, but I think he's got tremendous potential. So for the Browns, and you know, there was a time when I kind of thought to myself, maybe they could go receiver at 26. I don't know that I'm really thinking that now, but let's say they were going to go receiver 26. Is, is there a guy at the tail end of that first round that maybe they could look at 
or, or is there just a clear separation where if we're, if we're going that far, we're just going on to day two or day three. There's going to be guys at, at the end of day one that are going to be plentiful there. I think there's those three guys that I mentioned are going to be top 10, even top seven. And there's a handful of other guys there kind of at the back end of the first round. They're going to be really good. I've mentioned Kadarius, Tony from Florida, Terrace Marshall from LSU. Tony is more of a speedster. Marshall brings size, but a guy I've really grown to like in the past couple of weeks, watching his highlight film is Rashad Bateman of Minnesota. This is a guy who's got a pretty good frame, 6'1", 210 pounds. He's not the biggest guy, but he's big enough. He's not the fastest guy, but he's fast enough. The thing that I find interesting, the most interesting thing when you, when you read up about him, he plays with a lot of toughness. And I feel like that would actually be a really good fit for the Browns receiver room because of the fire that Jarvis Landry, no doubt Beckham have. I feel like when you get a guy like Babin who has those competitive juices to go with some of those athletic gifts that he has, he could be a, he could be a really good culture fit in addition to a pretty good talent fit. That's the second time his name has been mentioned here on this podcast. Surprisingly, the first time was not from Ellis. So that tells you something <laughs> that he is a guy that has come up now in both segments of this podcast, a name that Browns fans should probably keep in mind. And you mentioned the toughness, you know, the Browns love to preach that smart, tough, accountable mantra and they really, I mean, they showed it on the field this year. So, so when you kind of hear a guy that has some of those traits, kind of put a circle around his name. More realistically for the Browns, though, is probably taking a receiver either on day two or day three. So, so let's start with day two. Who are guys in that second or third round that, that maybe could work with the Browns? I'm going to stick with the speed element here. We, I've talked to guys like Rondale Moore, Purdue, who could, who could slide because of injuries, but when he's healthy – he was absolutely dynamic. We talked to Wayne Eskridge of Western Michigan. He could be a guy that could be a second-round option. We talked about him after the Senior Bowl, how he showed that he, isn't, he wasn't just a man amongst boys in the MAC. that he was really, really good against Power 5 competition. Another guy that stands out to me, it seems like he's rising up a little bit, Elijah Moore of Ole Miss. Now, this is a guy who is going to be – known by whoever whoever gets drafted by for one thing if you remember way back i think it was the 2019 egg bowl against mississippi state he scores the touchdown to get him within i think it was a point and he does the celebration of a of looks like a dog urinating on a fire hydrant gets a 15 yard penalty and then his kicker missed the extra point to tie the game they end up going to lose but he's he's been very productive he's done a good job of putting that behind him he had a fantastic 2020 season Lane Kiffin really got him involved a lot more. And this is a guy who's got more speed. He's another vertical threat. I think he had had about a 90-yard touchdown a year ago, which was another play where if you saw it again, it was one of those where Kiffin threw his clipboard like 30 yards (laughs) into the air in celebration. But this is a guy who's got a lot of speed, and the Browns certainly need speed. Moore's a guy like Rondale Moore and like Dwayne Eskridge could fit that that need for a true speedster. Here's the next step. The Browns, of course, found some value in Donovan Peoples-Jones last year, taking him in the sixth round. He had a productive rookie year for him. Uh, a lot of hope for him moving into year two now. Who's that guy this year? If the Browns wait, if they're looking in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, fourth round, I guess I should include there. Who, who's that guy that could give them value on day three? I think there's a couple. One guy I like, Wap Fillier of Indiana. Now, I've Watching Ohio State play in Indiana for years, I love the competitiveness of their receivers. Fillier's a guy that's very aggressive going to get the football. I love his hands. I love his explosiveness. He's another sub-six-foot guy, but may not be the fastest down the field, but 
another guy who his toughness flashes from you whenever you watch him play for pure speed. I like Anthony Schwartz of Auburn. He may not be anything more than just a go run as far as you can down the field and we'll throw it to you type of guy. But if they don't make changes in receiving in the receiving core necessarily, maybe that's not a bad thing to have. Schwartz has unbelievable speed. I think when you watch his, I watched his highlight film recently. I think there were, several mentions where they kept trying to call him the bet, the fastest player in college football. But that aside, his speed is tremendous. The, Auburn used him a lot in jet sweeps, quick bubble screens to get him the football. I think he's a guy that can be certainly raw, but a guy that you can just weaponize for that speed. Even if you tell him to get, run deep five times a game, when you have a guy with that kind of speed, maybe that's all you need him to do right now as he works his way into the NFL. Well, and I think that's the thing too. When we're talking day three, you're not going to get a guy who's the best at his position. You know, maybe there's a small school guy or, or maybe somebody slips that nobody was paying attention to. Obviously the greatest quarterback who ever lived came in the sixth round, but that is the <laughs> outlier of all outliers. When you're looking at day three picks, you're kind of picking on traits and you're, you're kind of getting a guy that maybe just does one thing really well. And, and you can either develop him or at least stick him out there in what you're trying to do in the structure you have and just have him do that one thing really well. Yeah. And I think we saw that with uh, Donovan Peoples Jones last year. He was uh, obviously what he did at the combine was tremendous. As far as jumping ability goes, we didn't get really a chance to see much of him, his dynamic leaping ability. The closest I think we saw was that a uh, two point conversion catch he had against the Ravens where he caught that deflection, from Kareem Hunt where he showed some really good reflexes, but the athleticism from people's Jones certainly stands out. And I think you're right. If you're looking in that sixth round, you're, I think in some ways you're looking for special teamers or guy that had guys that had that one trait that you hope you can build a game around that and start to really develop into more of a quality player where you can maximize that skill. Okay. So you mentioned the combine and that's something we're not going to have this year. It actually probably would have happened this week or, you know, maybe next week you're not going to have these blazing 40 times on NFL network. You're not going to have these great testing numbers. Teams have to rely on pro days. What do you think teams are going to miss the most from the combine? Is, is it the testing stuff? Is it the interviews? What, what in your mind when it comes draft day, are teams going to miss the most? I think it's going to be the interviews. Now we could talk about testing and all that stuff. That stuff's going to happen to pro days, even though I'm, I'm not always, I'm not necessarily sure off the top of my head how, official and perfect those times are because i'm assuming all all the reps there have to run their own stopwatch or stopwatches or whatever but i mean we've we we've seen it before where you know teams get all these interviews at the combine and they're going to do them on zoom so you'll still get that but i feel like there's nothing more valuable than just getting a look at a guy face to face to really kind of get to see a guy where maybe if you're looking at if you're looking for offensive lineman you could bring a guy in and you're like eh, he's bigger he looks he looks bigger than it sounds like when you get his measurements and getting a chance to see a guy in person certainly I'm sure helps obviously getting a chance to really break down things with him in person instead of doing it on a zoom is going to be different. I think that I do think that's going to be the biggest thing they'll, they'll have a chance. I'm sure to replicate it to some extent in zooms. I mean, we had a zoom off season a year ago and it seems like by and large, it really, after about three, four weeks, it really didn't have any impact on the regular season. The the good thing from last year, though, is they did have the all-star games. They did have, and of course, they had the senior bowl this year. They did have the combine before everything shut down. You know, they had that advantage. I think the medicals, too, is something that, that's really going to 
that's going to be something they miss because these guys show up, they go through medical testing. They're not going to be able to really do that this year. I, I think they'll miss that, but I'm with you too on the interviews. The ability to just put your eyes on somebody and, and sit there. You know, I know just for me personally, like seeing these guys up at the podiums, it, it gives you an idea of, okay, this is what this guy looks like. This guy is bigger than I thought. This guy, you know, maybe he's a little smaller than I thought. You know, I've, I always go back to, this isn't a combine thing, but after the Titans beat the Browns to start the 2019 season, I went in the Titans locker room and I got in the scrum with Derrick Henry. I was standing right next to him. And I, I knew Derrick Henry was a big guy, but then standing next to him, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I don't know how anybody tackles this guy. So, so those are the things that you get, even when you're around football players all the time, sometimes guys can stand out physically. So the combine always interesting for those of us who aren't players, really just a giant networking event for all involved, but there's also the, the interviews, the podiums, there's stuff that happens in Indianapolis at night. Do you have a combine memory for us? Uh, yes, I was actually up covering the 2018 combine. This was back when I was on the Ohio State beat, and this was quarterback day. You know, we're talking about quarterbacks. I don't remember exactly when this happened sequentially. We might have just come out of talking to GT Barrett on the podium. So then there's this crowd around podium one. That's, of course, Baker Mayfield's podium. I'm kind of waiting to get out to kind of go up and write my story. And then you see the players come out from the back. They have this curtain in the back for those that have never been there. You got the podiums on one side, you got the curtain here and all the players come out and you see Baker kind of come out and he's got a couple cameras with him. So I'm just in kind of right in that area. I'm, I'm thinking eh, nothing, probably NFL network just following him out to the podium or whatever. I don't find out until a few weeks later, thanks to one of our former colleagues, Bill Landis, who was on the B with me now works obviously for the athletic. I didn't find out till then that I that those cameras were from Baker Mayfield's pre-draft docu-series. <laughs> so you can find it yourself. Episode four, I think it's called Behind Baker. You will see me looking about as disinterested as you could possibly look. I, <laughs> I see ba- I'm I don't know what's exactly run through my head, but it's almost like the whole don't care meme from Jay Cutler back in the day when you just look at me, it's like I'm just like Baker's about here, I'm about here. And I don't know. I, I'll tweet it out. I'm sure I'm sure some people have seen it. For those that haven't, I'll happily tweet this out when this podcast comes out. If they kind of <laughs> want to get an idea or if you want to see the episode for yourself, you can see it. I forget how to find it, but it's there if you're really interested. But, I mean, this is the only combine I've ever, ever covered, so I've at least got a little story behind that. It's kind of fun. So it's obviously <laughs> – this is going to be different, I think, not just for the players but for you guys as well because I'm sure by now you're – driving five hours Southwest Indianapolis. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, look, the, the worst kept secret is the combine is really an opportunity to, you know, after all the stuff happens during the day to kind of get out in Indianapolis at night and run into coaches, run into, you know, this is for like, finally the Browns have some continuity continuity and we kind of know these guys. And now we're going to miss out on that opportunity to kind of run into guys and, and chat with them and, uh, kind of find some stuff out. So that's certainly something we miss, you know, and, and just the combine itself is absolutely crazy. I remember sitting in a hallway the year, I think it was Mahomes and Watson. Uh, you know what? Maybe it was 2018 actually when it was, you know, all those first round quarterbacks, but I just remember that, you know, the media room is so far away from the the podiums. I just remember posting up in the hallway and 
sitting on a floor and writing. And, and that's sort of what the combine is. It's just a scramble for about four or five days. So yeah, definitely going to miss it this year. I'm not going to miss the drive to Indianapolis, but <laughs> I, will miss the, uh, I will miss the event itself. All right, Tim, I appreciate you yeah. taking the time. Uh, that'll do it here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you check out Football Insider. Go to cleveland.com slash browns and click on that blue banner up at the top of the page and get subscribed to the podcast here wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, whatever you're using to listen to pods, make sure you've got the Orange and Brown Talk in your feed. Thanks for listening, everybody.